If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Last week I began a series that's going to, we're going to be here for a while, um, on the greatest sermon ever preached. The sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount by many. It begins in Matthew chapter 5 and someplace in Matthew chapter 7. Um, so much to learn. Today we want to talk about kingdom responsibilities. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, what shall it be seasoned? How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Last week, when talking about the beginning of chapter 5, we spoke about kingdom attitudes. First part, we talked about the different traits, the different that people of God or those who are citizens in God's kingdom need to have and that we emphasize of all the list that was there blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the merciful blessed are the peacemakers we emphasize that that was not a buffet table that it is something all of those characteristics need to be part of who we are as God's kingdom those who call themselves citizens of that heavenly place so the first part talked about the qualities of God's kingdom now we want to talk about the influence or the impact or the responsibilities that we need to have as God's people. Now, going back a little bit, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 said, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are what we should be, when we are what we need to be, we're not going to become all that popular with the world around us. They're going to revile us. They're going to persecute us. They're going to say all kinds of evil against us. This is how the world will behave toward the church, how they will try to influence us, how they will try to impact us, how they will try to diminish and move us to a place of being of no effect. And then right after saying those two verses, verses 11 and 12, Jesus explains how the church, how his people, how kingdom citizens are supposed to respond. So the next portion, he talks about our role. And that's when I came with the title, Kingdom Responsibilities. We are called to be two things. It would have been great if Jesus had realized that every sermon has to have three points but he only gave me two. We are called to be salt. And we are called to be light. These are the two examples that Jesus gave for us, you and I, having both impact and influence in the world around us. Notice he didn't say you can be. He didn't say you might be. He didn't say someday you may get to that point. He said you are salt. You are light. Amen. 
You see, our purpose, our responsibility is to influence a world that is antagonistic toward us by just being who we already are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Laying back is not an option. We have these characteristics. We have these blessings. We have these reasons, these things in our lives for a reason. Being a Christian means being visible. No hiding. And not just being visible as a Christian here, but in the world. So the first example that he gave was salt. Now salt does many things. It enhances flavor. But think about when the first listeners of this sermon were listening, the first thing they would have thought about uh, salt is that it would have been a preservative. It would have, back in the days before refrigeration, when the only way they could stop or slow the decaying process in meat was to basically pack it in salt. But we also think of salt today as having flavor. And that may be closer to the context of what he was looking at because he then says, what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Now, I've heard many people say they can't have food without salt. Or they'll say, without salt, there's no taste. We in the spiritual are that way for the world because it's not difficult to look around us today and see that we live in a world that is tasteless. That has no taste when it comes to decency. That has no taste when it comes to morality. That has no taste when it comes to basic things that when I grew up were common and good. And we're to bring taste, good taste, to a distasteful world. This world has become completely distasteful when it comes to things that they claim form the category of entertainment. What is accepted as truth as it relates to relationships? What is accepted as truth as it relates to what it means to be a man or a woman? What, it, what is accepted as truth as it relates to marriage? This world has become completely tasteless. I remember it's now... In December, it'll be 20 years ago, but at this point in time, it was 20 years ago, when my wife was expecting with our younger son, Peter. Now, she became pregnant with him later in life. So the vast medical community decided that the first questions they needed to ask my wife, who was approaching the age of 40, is, do you want to keep this child? Priorities are all out of whack. This world has become just turned upside down when it comes to what is right and what is good and what is truth. Amen. Our world has become, using the example of salt, unpalatable. And if it's become that way to us, it's become that way to God. So I would say, for all those who've been trying to watch their salt because of their diet, this world needs salt. It's the only time you're going to get the preacher to say, this world needs salt. And that's where you and I come in. To restore flavor, to restore taste, to restore decency. Church, our world needs salt. And sadly, what's also true is the church needs it as well. 
Are you and I willing to be salt in this world? Are you and I willing to take the stands that we need to be? And I'm not saying be obnoxious and get in people's face. Just live the life that God has given you and I to live and take the stand. This is what I believe. Will you and I stand for decency? Will you and I stand for and lead a holy life? Even among unholy friends. Now, I've worked at the current job I work at, which is for a law firm in, in the IT department, for almost eight years. Seven and a half years. And every year, at, in December, they have a big holiday party. That probably will not happen this year. But I would go every year, and for the weeks leading up to the holiday party, all of my coworkers, in fact, people throughout the entire IT department, which is about 90 people, would always come to me and say, is this going to be the year? And I would look at them and go, what are you talking about? Is this going to be the year that Hiram, at the holiday party, has a drink? If that is the sum total of your dreams and life you need to think higher that would be what they would think about and I would say of course I will have a drink they'll have root beer there they'll have coke there they'll have water there and they go no 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 a real drink and I said I'm not sure what you're talking about I knew what they were talking about but no, I'm not going to go there because of how I believe things should be. But that's how they want to influence us. How do we influence them? You see, if it's not us, if we're not being salt, Jesus says, and it's a harsh word, we're good for nothing. Those are strong words. We are the salt of the earth. And the only salt worth using is salt that still has its purity. It's salt that still has its flavor. It's salt that still has its ability to go into the world and make a difference and make an impact and have some influence. If the salt is no different than the world, then what good is it? We need to be salt without impurities. To keep them out of our lives. We are salt in an impure world that is decaying quickly. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Now clear, the primary reason that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed was because of the sin in that city. But if you read the scriptures carefully, the other reason why it was destroyed is because God couldn't find enough righteous people in the city to preserve it. You and I need to be those righteous people preserving our world. Stay pure. Be the salt of the earth. Salt adds flavor. It can do something else. It can create thirst. We can lead people when they get thirsty, when they see the goodness in your life, when they see the blessings in your life, when they see the lack of stress in your life, when they see all the amazing things God has done in your life, and they become thirsty and hungry, you can lead them to the rivers of living water where they'll never thirst again. 
Salt also does something else, which unfortunately many Christians are very good at. Salt irritates. When you put salt in an open wound, you need to get clear of that brother or sister right away. But giving irritation a, a positive spin, are you willing to let your, your testimony bother other people? Like it seems to bother my entire IT department that at the holiday gathering, I will not have alcohol. It's funny because they always say they want to have alcohol, want me to have alcohol. We get to the holiday party and they're all having a beer and I say, I'll have one. And they all look all shocked. And they say, what kind of beer are you having? And I go, root. <laughs> it's beer, isn't it? Then the interesting part is they say, I'll ask them the next day after. That was a fun holiday party, was it? And the majority of them don't remember a thing. See, I'd rather be able to remember the good times in my life. I'd rather be able to experience the good times in my life. I'd rather to be able to remember and be present for the good times in my life. So apparently my testimony is bothering my coworkers. So unfortunately, we will not have a holiday party this year. I will be sitting at home Probably with a glass of root beer, because I happen to like root beer. Are we willing to let our testimony out there? Are we willing to stand, even if it makes other people uncomfortable? You are, not you might be, not even you can be. Jesus says right where you are, at whatever level of growth you are right now, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt has many, many possibilities of what it can do and how it can be used. The next one, not so much. He says, you are the light of the world. Light has one job, and that's to shine. It has one job, to dispel or, dis or push away darkness. We are to bring and be the light of the world, especially with Christ being the light of the world. So in order to be the light of the world, we must be visible. Our lives should speak for themselves. Kingdom responsibility, part of that means light. Now we understand we're not the source of that light. We're a mere reflection of the light. And the reality is, we're going to reflect whatever light we're facing. You see, when you look up in the sky on a clear night and see the moon shining bright, it's not that the moon has any light, it's that it's reflecting the light of the sun. Are you and I able to go into a dark world and truly reflect the light of the uh, one son of God, the light of the world? Amen. The moon has no light in itself. It reflects what it's facing. We need to reflect the light of the Son of God. And the only way we can reflect him is to be facing him, is to have our lives facing him, is to have our decisions facing him, is to have all that we are facing him, is to know him, is to understand what is right and what is wrong, and that darkness is wrong. You are to be light. Because it doesn't take 
a seasoned theologian to realize there's darkness out there. We are to radiate or beam his light into dark places. We're not to hide it. He says, don't put it under a bushel. Don't put it under a basket. Don't place it somewhere where the light can't fulfill its function. Why in the world would you turn the light on if all you're going to do is put it under something where the light can't be seen? And he gives the example, you put it on a hill where everyone can see it. Let your light shine. The church I was reared in, that was their theme verse. It was called the Lighthouse Tabernacle over in Central Islip. And the theme verse was, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven, as they can see. Well, I don't want anybody to know if I'm doing anything good. As they can see your good works and connect the dots that the good works were with you. And then they can glorify God. Now, let's be perfectly honest and perfectly real today. The world is capable of doing good things. They are capable of being kind. They are capable of giving money to good causes. They are capable of being philanthropic. They are capable of those things. So this is not just about good works. It's good works that can be connected to God. So if it's a good work that's connected to God, it's a good work that God's involved in. This isn't about your fulfillment or my fulfillment. This isn't about your sense of accomplishment or my sense of accomplishment. This isn't about you being able to sleep well at night or my being able to sleep well, um, well at night. Although if you take the muscle relaxers the doctor gave me, you'll sleep pretty well. And this is not just so that we don't get bored. So that God can get the glory that they might see. The root words there that might see or give God glory are literally mean to consider. When we do good works that God's involved in, we give other people, unbelievers, the opportunity to consider the wonders of heaven, to consider the wonders of Jesus, to actually consider that God can be good for them as he's been good to you and me. We give them the ability to inspect and examine God. Now they may, not un they may not understand the works as far as doing them themselves, but at least it's something that can be part of their journey toward Jesus. Light doesn't just focus on the world and what it does. It focuses on you and how you are different. Church, that's if we're different. And in too many ways, sometimes we're not. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 8, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what light is supposed to do. We don't walk in the works that were our former works. We walk in the works that are acceptable in the sight of Jesus. That's what light does. We bring peace where there's no peace. Plenty of opportunity for that around now. Yes. 
And sadly, it'll probably intensify between now and the first Tuesday in December, in, in, in November. We need to bring peace. We take our stands. We stand for what we believe in. But we also believe in peace. To be light of the world, we have to pursue Jesus. Jesus, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to interact? How do you want me to shine for you? You know, the, the uh, Old Testament figure King David understood this. After his sin with Bathsheba was revealed, he declares in Psalm 51, beginning in verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. David understood that without God, he was nothing. He could be king of an entire nation, but without that relationship, without that fellowship, he was nothing. David is crying out to the Lord to bring all these blessings back to him. David is crying out to Jesus, in essence, to restore to me the joy. When people see that joy, they want some. When people see what's out there and then they see what's in you, they want some. Now David is crying out that the Lord would restore these blessings. But why? Why does he want these blessings back? Why does he want these things to come back into his life that he doesn't have at the moment and didn't realize how much he missed them until Nathan confronted him? Verse number 13, we continue reading. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall bring forth your praise. We get these blessings so that we can shout from the mountaintops and declare in the valleys that Jesus is good, that Jesus brings peace, and that Jesus alone can can resolve any issue in our lives. But some are going to say, but I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. I don't know if I'm ready to be salt or ready to be light. And the last thing I want to do at this point in my Christian life whether it's an early part or a late part, I don't want to bring shame to God's name. I don't want to be sh shining my light until I'm ready. The truth is, what you mean by that is you don't want to be shining your light until you're perfect. Well, guess what? If you're breathing, you're never going to be perfect. I don't want to bring shame to God's name. I don't want to shine till I'm ready. And I feel in my spirit to say two words, too late, because you are salt. You are light. Not that you can be, not that you can be better at it. We all can be better at it. But right where you are, right here, right now, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And this world, church, needs both. Whatever mistakes all of us make in our Christian lives Trust me, it's a whole lot better living than what's going on out there, that mess that they call our culture. 
to our prayer should be. Not make me ready, Lord, but help me as I shine, help me as I flavor, help me as I witness, help me as I let my testimony be out there. Help me become pure light. Help me become pure salt. Help me be a witness, even to my family, that some may say they know the Lord and they do know the Lord, but may have very different views on basic things. We are to be light. We are to be salt. Did you ever have in the middle of the night when it's really, really dark, someone just all of a sudden flash a flashlight in your eyes? You want to beat that person up, don't you? I'm not talking about that. There is no Christian value in going out there and saying, I got beat up for Jesus. But just be where God has you. We may not be perfect, but God has taken us so far. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I need to be, but I'm not what I was. I'm not what I was. You know, we've been studying in the book of Romans, and we just recently finished uh, this past Tuesday. We were in chapter 8. Before that, we were in chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, Paul gets really open and displays himself vulnerable. He says, there are things I want to do that are right that I don't do. And there are things that are wrong, and I know they're wrong, but I do them. And he is open about the struggle in his life. And yes, we need to be conscious. I want to have a standard that we pursue excellence, that we pursue pure light and pure salt. But my pursuit of that standard will not allow me to shy away from chapter 8, verse 1, where he says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is not license. That is not excusing sin. But there's no point in beating yourself up. Be light. Be salt. And he says, salt of the earth. Not salt of the salt shaker. We need to get out of here and be salt out there. Be light out there. Because it's our kingdom responsibility, church. It's what we need to do in this day. There are people who are dying out there who need what you and I have right where you are. Stand with me, please.